Hi there, and welcome back to Are We Europe? Today we have the last episode of our series with Resonate Productions called Millennial History. If you've made it this far, we want to thank you for taking this journey with host Andrea Vutz and with us. Next week, we'll be publishing an extended behind-the-scenes interview with Andrea that she did with Are We Europe co-founder Mick Terryhorst. Last thing, we'd love to hear what you thought about the series. Please tweet us at Are We Europe. Thanks for listening. Here we go. I mean, I just find it really interesting. <laughs> Here. This is the talk about everything. Because there's just so much to talk about. Prove ourselves worthy of the majority. Millennial History. Welcome to Millennial History. In this podcast, we talk to millennials who lived big events in recent world history from up close. Last time, we dove into Eastern Germany, the former GDR, with Henning, Inga, Winnie and Burkhardt. They told us about their lives in a socialist country, the organization of that state, the revolutionary autumn of 1989 and the complex feelings towards the fall of the Berlin Wall. In this second and final episode, we turn to the 90s and the Wiedervereinigung, the merging of East and West into the Germany we know today. For the former citizens of the GDR, this meant a total change of system, power, ideology and social cohesion. Years full of challenges, yet with hopeful seeds for the future. Here's what you can expect. Your parents go through their worst moment of life. They lose their job, have no idea how to continue. They don't know what to do. They don't speak the language of this new state. My mother, for example, described it. There was suddenly this guy from the Western part and it explained to you how things work, as if you were a child. Everybody went away, for my feeling, huh? went, went away. And the big goal was, was to build a house. Everyone tried to realize that. I, I felt like we are here alone. <laughs> Where are the parties? My parents only tell stories about the GDR, the troubles of the 90s a bit, but they were busy and trying to fight and democracy and doing things and initiatives and... Okay, what is my story in the 90s? And that was like being fucking scared in a small town because they were full of Nazis. My name is Andrea Wutz, I am a musical journalist. I'm joined in the studio by composer and sound designer Luke Dean. The music that you will hear has been offered by musicians from East Germany. Let's go. Our generation, who was like kids in the 90s, were like the ones who were kind of introducing our parents to democracy or to this new system. The roles are shifted. I remember um, that I was asking my parents about some things I was interested in and uh, about history or how, how does it work today and um, my father didn't have answer or answers he was he, he begins to say something and look and in former times it was like this and now and you know it's difficult no really wait But does that mean that your parents also couldn't help you navigate no. a school system? No, no, I had no, uh, no um, hope. Do you translate between your parents and the new system? 
the new ideologies, the new ways of thinking. As a kid, you bring all this knowledge at home. You are the translator, translating the culture to the parents who don't have a clue about that. 60 million people were adapting from one day to another to a very new system. And um, I don't know how many people were living in the, in the West Germany at this time, but uh, let's say roughly uh, 60 million people or 65 million people. For them, nothing changed. Whole factories simply closed. So 1,000 people were unemployed on one slab. Incredible high numbers of unemployment all of a sudden. Like, I think it's certainly in the 30% or something. In the university where my, my father was working, all the stuff was thrown out and replaced by Western German people. Where else did it happen? Yeah, everywhere. Everywhere. It was a big market. It was a big work, working place market. This is the perfect situation. I mean, you have a lot of people who are employed in contracts from a country which doesn't uh, exist anymore, which no, no longer. So it's the perfect moment. Then it's very easy to fire people, isn't it? She lost her job, that was difficult. I came back from school and I saw sitting the two women. I see the shoulders hanging, like, hmm, smoking and yeah, that's it, you know? And then Treuhand, this agency, was trying to see how all these thousands and thousands of state-run companies could be transferred into neoliberal, market-oriented uh, economy. Often they were sold for one German mark, like which is like, you know, nothing, like one euro. I heard this story from a friend of my mother recently. They had a beer factory. They had perfect machines, very new. I think it was Frankfurt order. And uh, they had to close it down because it was a danger. It could be a competition, you know, to West German companies. There are also people who call it colonization, and I think there's a true aspect in that, of course. For entrepreneurs and companies from the West, it was a big playground. It is also true, people here were unexperienced in all matters according to capitalism and all the rules of the market. And so it was really easy to betray people, to trick them into deals which were not at all good for them. My mother, for example, described it, okay, and there was suddenly this guy from the Western part, sometimes also this woman, and it explained to you how things work, as if you were a child, or as if you were like a person who has lived uh, 
her or his whole life behind a curtain or in the forest or doesn't know anything about life. I have so many memories of my parents being hyper angry of West Germans telling them the lesson how they should do or how democracy works and how they should function. For many people there was such a slap in the face having the agency taken away again and then being told that everything you did in the last 40 years was nothing and you don't know anything and please listen to the West German. The whole thing created an atmosphere of yeah that the Eastern German people are are not competent enough to do their work right and that they have to be replaced by more skilled people from the West because they are from the GDR and they cannot be as experienced and as skilled as their Western German colleagues. But experienced in what? In the Western system, in the in capitalism, in how to make business, in how to make money, in how to compete, in how to promote yourself, in how to take advantage. It doesn't sound to me like things to be proud of, to be experienced in. Not to you, <laughs> and not to me. In a way, when I look back, that was all that counted. The transformation into freie Marktwirtschaft. The free market. Free market. The West is uh, like... Um, um, achieving or, or creating a new market let's say 15 million inhabitants who never have Coca-Cola. Uh, they will buy it like crazy, you know? It's great. What an opportunity. What do you think the general narrative in Germany about the unification is? I think that the most important thing about the narrative in Germany is that the narrative is different in the West. What I suspect is that the narrative in the West is that they saved us. They saved the East, they rescued the East. I feel very sure about that. When I think about it now, in, in this uh, simple sentence, there's everything. So many th of these things that went wrong lies there within. The treating the Eastern as naive and, uh, yeah, dumb bunch of children and so on and so on. And in the end, even the possibility to feel themselves as the saviors, as the holy persons who did everything for us poor people that we could buy Coca-Cola and Kinder Schokolade.
the whole capitalism thing is like that. That's the whole prescription of how it works. You get something where you uh, ought to be grateful for of what you didn't know in the first place that you actually wanted it. What do you think about it? About that? The West saved the East. I realized that I feel a little bit angry. <laughs> Although it doesn't affect me in my life, but still it's my origins. Why do you think that had to be done? Well, otherwise capitalism wouldn't work, right? If you don't make people understand that everything they lived through was like a big lie, they would start to question the current system, the incoming system. Are there any concepts from the GDR that you felt are really difficult for people to understand that haven't lived it? Um, every weekend, There, there was nothing to do. So we had like little little parties in the garden. Yeah, it was always a party every weekend for a kid. For, for kids it was nice. And there was also this feeling from, yes, in the weekend we meet each other again. It was community. And, and after uh, the Wende, everybody went away. Huh? Went, went away. Yeah, the big goal was to build a house. A new house with a garden and have a good car. Yeah, I think that was, exactly. was the goal. And yeah, everyone tried to realize that. So I, I felt like, oh yeah, we are here alone. <laughs> My best friends went away or went to West Germany. Yeah, it was more like, uh, where are the parties? That's very, that's very nice, that's a, a very nicely put, because I, it, it was really like this, that the men, especially our fa fathers, for sure as well, they immediately had that that feeling of, we have to do the same thing they do in the, in the West. We have to make it. Now we really want to live that, that dream. We have to buy that house, now we can buy that house. And, and now we have to work, 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 work. From 1990 to 2000 was an incredible migration. So to big cities, but also to West Germany. I think from 16 million inhabitants, it was 2 million. Yeah. We would have a caravan of cars going on Sunday evening to West Germany and on Friday coming back. Inga, what would the week of your father look like? It was one week working, another weekend at home, and then two weeks working so he can come at Thursday at home. He was working in Cologne and also in Rotterdam. How did you all get by back home without him? I uh, had no father. 
My feeling was I have no father. I couldn't speak to him. He wasn't there. Everybody uh, felt so insecure and overwhelmed. That led to the case that everybody was only looking after himself. There was no more this feeling of togetherness and helping each other out and trusting each other because everybody tried to find his or her place in the new society. It's strange, right? Because exactly the opposite should have happened. As a child, when you see your parents struggling like that? Hmm, that's a good question. No. I mean, you feel injustice eh, from a very early age. This feeling of powerlessness and being at the fringes, not having influence or not having, like, fighting against windmills. Where you see your parents go through their worst moment of life, they lose their job, they have no idea how to continue, they don't know what to do, they don't speak the language of this new state of how to sell yourself. No one takes care of you, no one explains you, and you're totally left alone in a country that doesn't want you and says everything you did and you learned was worthless. I think there's such a strong bond. You have a lot of empathy with your parents and you go through that together, through that transformational process. My parents only tell stories about the GDR and, and then of course the troubles of the 90s a bit, but they were busy and trying to fight and democracy and doing things and initiatives and NGOs. <laughs> 100,000 associations. And then, and then thinking, okay, what is my story in the 90s? And that was like being fucking scared in a small town because they were full of Nazis. I really grew up in the times of, I feel in the time of crisis. East Germany was on a level like war-torn, uh, like, like Bosnia-Herzegovina after the war. Like there was the economic power of that region in the mid-90s was like so, so low. Yeah, you felt you were screwed, you know. You had to brace yourself for an incredible violence on the street, you know, or in public transport in the countryside. You could see which kind of haircuts people had, and then you know, okay, he's a right-winger and he's a left-winger. Or like on the shoes and the laces, you could kind of like find out, okay, is he like a left-wing skinhead or like a right-wing Nazi? Yeah, yeah. German subculture of the 90s, yeah, very specific. And then you would see this flock of th five, four, three, two people walking down the street. And you would just know, just behave as normal as possibly, as calm as possible. Look down, make yourself invisible, just go on the other side of the street. So you had to hide yourself. 
because you would like look wrong or be wrong. I think it's these youngsters where their parents lost their job, were totally lost, didn't know what to do. They were just free floating. There was an incredible violence coming up from there, from this like free floating, not knowing. Creativity, but also loads of violence. It's not that state anymore, it's not this state yet. It's a whole society falling apart. There was one little event. I was a bit in my dreamland and walking. I know, I was like in very playful, nine years old, walking just over our cemetery. And then they were stopping me and like checking me out and intimidating. I was like in my movie and thinking a thing or like singing around or moving like as a kid does, right? Just like really in my fantasy world. And I was like, okay, I can't do this because then I'm gonna be checked out. Knowing I might be a queer person. Mm, okay. Not here, no, not here. Wait, brace yourself and wait till it's killed till you can leave this place. Yeah. We are a generation that learned to deny East German-ness. We try to unlearn our dialects. We try to unlearn everything that could show that we come from East Germany. We try to, we learn to hide and to adapt. How do you think it's still present in you? I think the, the difficulty to sign up for a career, I need to become this artist. I went to the best choreography school in Europe. Now I'm a brand. How do I navigate this? What do, you know? I think as an East German, way harder for you to sell yourself or like believe in what you know and what you think has value. This is really collective history. In my studies, I met West Germans and I had always the feeling um, I cannot uh, come out with my opinion. I was thinking and analyzing the situation, but I couldn't speak, you know? That, that was the feeling. I felt like, oh, as I'm now saying something, I have this accent. Uh, and how, how would, it, would it look like if I now I'm speaking the right words, but with an with a accent, you know? <laughs> so, uh, I, yeah, so I didn't say anything. Millennial cliche is that we are very good at talking about ourselves. Mm -mm. No, I don't know what is this, where this cliche comes from. I have to learn a lot to understand my own desires, to formulate them and make them real. 
daring to have intentions and letting them letting them exist also, you know? Why is that so hard? Because it's all about the others first, the collective first. That's something that East Germans haven't learned so well. <laughs> Taking care of themselves and their own desires. How do you start doing that? Taking care of yourself. I think in a lot of not doing, in a lot of like not reacting, in, a, in, a, in stopping before you act. Colors, smells, and the haptic of this Western world, like the material world, or the wall came down that you didn't have this every day, you know, that mm. that you could go to a shop and get bananas or you should go to a shop and get, when you had like the money, everything you wanted, that it was like so special. I enjoy the, the, the smile, what comes to me sometimes, <laughs> like a little smile when, when, I, when I remember those situations. Mm. happy when I can satisfy my needs. I mean, there are so many moments when I'm home in the evening and I think, ah, it's such a great thing to be grown up because I can decide on my own that I pour myself a glass of wine now. I just decided that I just do it. It's really enjoyment. Without religious or esoteric, uh, whatever, ideologic thing around it. Just the fact that it's not there so often. This is a feeling you cannot really communicate, probably. You have to have lived it. sometimes shocked to see how younger generations are really full-on in the neoliberal ideology and don't question even it. If you don't have a Facebook page, you will not be an artist, either this way or no way. This reminds me of times where it was like, yeah, either you become part of the main political party, whatever authoritarian system, or you are not part of this. And I, when I was came, coming to the Netherlands, I was like, wow, interesting. They have a similar, I know this from GDR times, interesting ideologies you guys have. People want to be on the right side and they're afraid to make mistakes and to be on the wrong side. So this hyper-correctness, right? Where people are hyper-conscious about what is the best way to bring up a kid and what food it should eat and... You want to be the perfect parents or the perfect citizens or the perfect, uh, just being perfect. That's, that's, that I would see is endemic to millennials. They don't want to make mistakes and they don't want to take risks. Especially coming from East Germany, you are used to constant shifts of history, power, ideologies, and you see it is something that is not for granted and that could shift anytime. And I'm kind of curious 
how our generation will deal in the coming years with so much things falling apart to deal with that possibility of yeah not taking things for granted. In the end, I'm very hopeful. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm super hopeful. We became way more aware of gender diversity, sexual orientation. And the amount of speed we go through this development is like mind-blowing. It's incredible. I grew up in a time where I felt like I can't name my sexual orientation because it's life-threatening. And now I feel like almost like a super mainstream conservative. What does it take to make a country, to make a nation? I think it is a big question. And if I knew, maybe I would have become a politician. But if you ask me as a private person, I would say people who are willing to improve their life and the life of people around them and who are interested in each other, to be interested in the people around you, I think this is a, an important thing. I think there are still so many people in Western Germany also who have never traveled uh, into the Eastern Zone. There's also another funny word uh, called Dunkeldeutschland, so dark Germany. So also a like funny haha name for the Eastern part where all the savages live, maybe, yeah. all the fools. Yeah. And there's like thousands and thousands and thousands of stories. This, this feeling that your history doesn't count, your experience doesn't count. You lived in some weird dictatorship and we're gonna tell you how it's right. And I think this feeling of not being heard, that there was no interest in what is your experience and how, you know, what, how can we do this together? Um, this, I, this is a very traumatic experience. I think digestion of this experience just starts in the last recent years. Why should we care about everything that happened after the change and in the change? I think we should care and we should continuously care and probably in 10 years we have to have another conversation and in 20 years another conversation to see where we are with this. If we don't care about the untold stories, they will come out and show itself in a way probably we don't want. In a very unconscious way and maybe violent way we probably will be surprised. Populism is very strong in East Germany because people feel they don't matter. 
the hierarchies are still so fucking strong in Germany. Not having any influence, not having agency. And then there's this toxic thing coming up with cancel culture. Then people get like very emotional and then it's just like dictatorship Merkel, they're all crazy. I think we tend to want easy solutions and not deal with the shit of history and not deal with uncomfortable narratives. Germany was so proud. We are so good and the best in the world because we finally tackled our like, dictatorship for 12 years, Holocaust questions, this whole Nazi narrative. This needs to stay constant conversation. Not only inform the 12 years of Nazi dictatorship, but inform every time and every society and every ideology and not only singularize that 12 years as the worst moment of history. My mom was always like, wow, tell me more about history because I didn't have all of that. What did you learn today in history? Well, if you grow up in an in a authoritarian state with a certain ideology, you learn to see history from a certain perspective which I think we also learn to see history from a certain perspective. There is no neutral way of seeing history. My history teacher said once, history, um, I need to say it in German one more time, Geschichte passiert in Zeit und Raum und wird von Menschen gemacht. So history happens in time and space and is created by human beings. And this is such a strong sentence where whichever time we are in, it's always a construction of something, of people in power and who want to achieve something. So there is no neutral history. It's always a construction of the ones who get the voice. This show was brought to you by Resonate Productions. We make musical journalism about emotional blind spots in society. Many thanks to all the musicians who donated their songs to help to tell this story. Lisa and the FIX, Glubklich 1, Jamaladin Takuma and Uwe Kropinski, Used to be New, Jonas Gehring, Ninive, Trental Quartet and Hans Nerva with When the Hands Point Up, the Excitement Starts. These episodes mark the end of our series of four European millennial histories. Luke and I started this project in 2018. In total, 10 millennials were interviewed for over 40 hours and more than 60 musicians donated their songs. Stay up to date on new episodes and the live documentary concert of millennial history on facebook.com slash musicaljournalism. Thank you for being with us. We wish you lots of great conversations.